It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. My name is Natalie Bucknell. In September, Beyond Zero Missions held a summit to launch their latest report, Electrifying Industry. The summit showcased many ways that Australian manufacturing can electrify industrial heat processes. By transitioning to electricity, manufacturers can reduce both greenhouse gas emissions and the energy costs they encounter through improved energy efficiency and by utilising renewable electricity. Our show today features one of the summit presentations by Michael Lord, the lead author of the report. Here's BZE's CEO, Vanessa Petrie, introducing Michael and Michael's presentation. Michael is Beyond Zero Emissions Head of Research and if you're new to Beyond Zero Emissions, we are a climate solutions think tank. We're powered by volunteers and our mission is to show that it is achievable and affordable to get to zero emissions across all sectors of our economy using technology that is proven and commercialised. Michael is the project director for Electrifying Industry and he's also the lead author. He was also the author of Rethinking Cement, which was the world's first report to show how to eliminate emissions from the cement sector. And we released that report last year. It was very practical and we've had, we've had really positive engagement with the infrastructure and construction sector. And in fact, a couple of months ago, we received the best international energy think tank award in the prospect think tank awards for this year. So that was a really proud moment for us and, and for Michael as the, the director of that project too. He joined Beyond Zero Emissions from a global environmental consultancy, RPS, where he advised local governments and the private sector on reducing emissions and managing climate risk. Michael, welcome. Thank you, Vanessa. It is quite big reports. So I'm only going to be able to touch on what it says in, in the next half hour, hopefully inspire some of you to read it. I want to get across just three things, really. One, that the world is moving towards a zero-carbon economy, and this has irresistible momentum behind it. Two, for Australia, this is really good news. We've got almost unmatched ability to develop, to generate renewable energy and renewable electricity in particular. And one of the most intelligent ways we can use this potential to generate renewable electricity is to power the manufacturing sector, which we've heard is so important, and to expand the manufacturing sector further in Australia. So the report really focuses on one aspect of energy use in manufacturing, which is industrial heat processes. So if you look around you now, and we can see concrete and textiles and metals and glass, nearly any industrial material you can think of is forged in fire. It requires a lot of heat to produce. 
and industrial heat processes are very varied from, from lower temperature ones like cooking and drying to things like melting metals and glass to thousands of different chemical reactions required to produce materials. So that's what this report focuses on, as well as some uses of fossil fuels as a feedstock, so a chemical input in the manufacture of some really important materials like steel, ammonia and plastic. So we look at how the power of electricity even allows you to replace fossil fuels as a feedstock. So Australian manufacturing has to change to adapt to the low-carbon era. We've heard that manufacturers are facing higher energy costs. Gas and electricity has doubled or trebled for many manufacturers very suddenly. Australian manufacturers' use of energy is actually quite inefficient compared to other countries. For every dollar of economic output from Australian industry, we use more energy than any other developed country, and that situation has actually been getting worse, not better, in the last few years. And all that energy produces greenhouse gas emissions, and we don't have a plan at the moment to reduce those emissions, let alone eliminate them. And we know we need a plan because the emissions from industrial heat processes alone account for 8% of Australia's emissions. So that's the same as every car on the road in Australia, and globally the proportion is higher. It's about 12%. So what's the plan to eliminate these emissions. There isn't one at the moment, but we do have an objective to eliminate all greenhouse gas emissions. That's been agreed internationally. As we speak, every country in the world is still signed up to the Paris target, which explicitly says we need net zero emissions to manage dangerous climate change. Most Australians live in a state and territory that recognises this. Most Australian states and territories have zero emissions targets by mid-century. In Victoria, as well as the ACT, those targets are enshrined in legislation. And many countries around the world have some kind of emissions reduction target. These are some of those with zero emissions targets, and the European Union and the United Kingdom are, at the moment, discussing increasing their ambition to having zero emissions targets. And while there's no... In general, there's no specific policy to eliminate the emissions from industry... We are seeing more and more countries put in place a, put a price on carbon. And the European Union has had an emissions trading scheme now, I think, for about 15 years. For a lot of that time, it's been quite a weak mechanism, but they're starting to fix the problems with it. And it's really starting to bite now and impose costs on manufacturers in the European Union. It might surprise people to know that the largest emissions trading scheme in the world is the Chinese one and they plan for that emissions trading scheme to spread to progressively to more and more manufacturers. So this evolution and inevitable acceleration of policies which constrain or penalise carbon emissions is creating business risk, significant business risk. Continuing with a high carbon strategy can now be looked at as a bet that we won't have significant constraints on the carbon emissions in the future. And it's an increasingly risky bet, as many organisations, conservative uh, financial institutions have recognised our own financial regulator, APRA, the Bank of England, the Global Financial Stability Board, and many others have said that continuing with a high carbon strategy is a risk to individual companies, and it's one of the most significant risks to the entire global economy. And investors 
Institutional investors are, are well aware of this, which is why, as a tenant mentioned, they're demanding more and more information from companies. They're demanding companies tell them how they're going to be resilient in a carbon-constrained future. And at the same time, powerful coalitions of investors are demanding that governments accelerate their action on climate change. Large corporations can tell which way the, the wind is blowing. I think it's interesting to have a look at a website called the Sustainable Science-Based Targets Initiative. So that's a website where nearly 500 global corporations now have pledged to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions significantly. And what's really interesting about those, apart from their pledging to reduce their own emissions, they're also planning to reduce the emissions of their supply chain. So even if you're a manufacturer that's not consumer-facing, that very few consumers have ever heard of, you probably do make those products for a consumer-facing organisation that is planning to reduce their emissions. So, for example, Unilever, as part of this, their target, plan to reduce the emissions of an average product by 50% by 2030. IKEA, by 70% by 2030. So every manufacturer that makes things for those companies is going to have to change the way they manufacture things. Just putting solar panels on their roof won't be enough. So how are they going to manufacture things differently when they've relied on fossil fuels for so long? Our report explores one way, it's not the only way, but using renewable electricity to make things that are otherwise made with fossil fuels. It's probably not new to, say, electrify industry. For a while now, eminent voices have said what we need to do to combat climate change is electrify everything. So the, the ex-chief scientist Alan Finkel was doing the rounds a few years ago talking about his vision for electric, an electric planet, saying let's electrify transport, electrify buildings, electrify industry. But no one was really saying how you electrify industry. All the examples came from transport and buildings. And I asked a few people, well, how, how do you electrify industry? And uh, we only got the vaguest of answers. So this is what we're trying to answer in the report. But one thing we knew at Beyond Zero Emissions is that in Australia we have the potential to generate enough electricity to do whatever we want. Three years ago we released a report called the Renewable Energy Superpower which quantified Australia's potential to generate renewable electricity and that report included this chart which showed that even if we constrain ourselves to available land within 10 kilometres of an existing transmission line, which is a very small part, bit of Australia, about 4%, we could generate more renewable electricity from that land than all of the economically recoverable fossil fuels plus uranium that we know about, and several times more than this amount, which is what we can actually burn to have any hope of um, staying within two degrees of warming. This is an incredible amount of electricity. We could generate more than we could ever need, 5,000 exajoules. One exajoule is more than the electricity we use in one year in Australia. Those natural resources are now being complemented by economics. As we've seen, the price of renewable electricity has now crossed over with the average national electricity market price. And just as importantly as where the price is today is where it's, it's heading so solar could be 50% cheaper than it is today in just 10 years' time, which really changes the picture. And more and more companies are cottoning on to the fact that renewable energy is cheaper. One of the biggest drivers of new energy plants in Australia today 
is commercial and industrial customers putting solar panels on their rooftops. I think there's about a gigawatt of solar just going on commercial industrial rooftops just this, in this year alone. The other option that's becoming more and more common is a renewable energy power purchase agreement. So paying a wind farm, agreeing with a wind farm or a solar farm or both to take some of that energy. And we've got a long list of companies in the report who have signed renewable energy power purchase agreements. When they do that, they save between 20 and 50% on their energy bills. It's not just small manufacturers. This is for heavy industry. So both of Australia's steel makers are going into renewable energy. Liberty One Steel has been particularly enthusiastic with plans to build more than a gigawatt of solar and storage to power their steelworks across Australia. We know we can generate the electricity. We know that it's becoming increasingly affordable, the renewable electricity, but it still leaves the big question of, okay, how do you make everything we need to make using that renewable electricity? Perhaps not surprisingly, given how complex uh, manufacturing is as an area, the answer is not simple. There's not just one answer or even two simple answers. There's a number of electrical heating technologies that are going to deliver what we need. The first one we look at is heat pumps. So people might be familiar with heat pumps from uh, reverse cycle air conditioners or even fridges use heat pumps. These are industrial heat pumps that can produce hot water, hot air, steam, now up to 160 degrees in temperature. And they do that really efficiently. They can do that with several hundred percent of efficiency, which sounds like they're breaking some kind of law of physics, but they're not. What they're doing is reusing waste heat in the factory and raising the temperature of it with incredible performance. And the main potential for heat pumps is to replace centralised gas boilers, which is the most common heating system for producing steam in factories that require lower temperatures from about 180 degrees and below. So there's huge potential for heat pumps. The second type of technology we look at is a very broad range of technologies that use the electromagnetic spectrum to produce heat. We look at infrared, which is great at heating thin material and drying surfaces of material very, very quickly. Induction, the main use of which is to heat treat and melt metals. And microwaves and radio frequency, which are great at heating bulky material, which doesn't conduct heat very well. So things like cardboard and ceramics and bricks can be heated and fired with microwaves and radio frequency. The thing these technologies all have in common is that they're efficient because they generate the heat within the material. So if we think of just a domestic example of cooking a chicken at home, how do you cook a chicken? You set the oven to 180 or something, and then the, the oven itself heats up and all the air around the chicken. And finally, more than an hour later, the chicken itself reaches about 80 degrees. So you've actually wasted a lot of energy in cooking that chicken, and these technologies all minimise that waste because they don't expend waste heating the environment. The third technology we look at is even broader, a whole range of electric furnaces. So the best way to describe this is if you can think of an oven, a kiln or a furnace that's used in industry and it's fired by natural gas, there's probably a way of making that oven, kiln or furnace with electrical resistance, which is the oldest and simplest electrical heating technology we have. 
That section also looks at some specific types of electrical furnaces, so you can get electrical glass furnaces to replace gas-fired ones for melting glass. And there are electric arc furnaces, which are for melting and recycling iron and steel. And the final category of electrical heating technology we look at is renewable hydrogen, which we've got in there because if you've got renewable electricity plus water, you can use electrolysis to produce hydrogen. There's been a lot of talk about hydrogen as a transport fuel, as a fuel in general. What we focus on is the enormous potential of hydrogen to replace fossil fuels as a feedstock, particularly in the production of steel. So you might have heard that you can't make steel without coal. Definitely not true. Much steel today in the world today is already with it, made without coal. And in fact, making steel with hydrogen alone has already been proved on a commercial basis. And what better country to do it than Australia, the country with the world's largest reserves of iron ore. So apart from reducing the emissions, why would you convert from fossil fuels to renewable electricity? One reason is the efficiency. So what we found is you can often halve the energy required to produce a material or product by switching from fossil fuels to electricity. And that's interesting for what it does to prices. So here's where prices stand. These are based on our projections between today and 2028, and we explain at some length how we get to these projections for gas and electricity in our report. You can see from this that renewable electricity from the grid, at least for the next 10 years, is likely to remain more expensive than gas. When you're getting it from the grid, you have to pay the network costs, which are a significant slice of the energy bill and are likely to remain so for the foreseeable future. What's interesting is that if you can generate that electricity on site with PV and you don't have to pay the network costs, we're already seeing significant overlap between the price of that and gas prices. But what I want to get across is this isn't the comparison that we should be making when we're looking at electrifying industry. So let's all actually forget this slide and concentrate on this slide, which is the cost of the energy service. Because electricity is often allowing you to halve the energy input into whatever you're making, as a cost of energy service, renewable electricity, even when you have to pay the grid fees, is as cheap as using gas for a large spread of gas prices. And if you're able to generate electricity on site, it's even cheaper than nearly any plausible price of gas to use renewable electricity. So as well as efficiency, for some processes, what might be even more attractive to a manufacturer is the speed with which electrical heating technologies work. This is particularly true for the range of electromagnetic heating technologies. So on the screen, we have the heating times of infrared of different materials versus, versus gas convection. We also have a case study in the report showing how the firing of bricks could be more than twice as fast if you assist a kiln with microwave assistance. And a few other case studies showing rapid increases in production times through using electricity. Electricity also allows you to control the temperature better and to more precisely direct where the heat is going and also enables you to monitor the process better than a fossil fuel-fired process. This is really important as we move to manufacturing, which is becoming increasingly automated and digitised. We've already heard the phrase Industry 4.0. Electrical heating technologies are more suited to the Industry 4.0 world. They also tend to be smaller and more modular, 
So, for example, heat pumps, I've said, have the potential to replace a centralised gas heating system. You don't have to replace the whole system straight away. You could replace a particularly inefficient part of the system, perhaps uh, on the end of a long steam distribution pipe, with a single heat pump and gradually replace the gas system over time, spreading project risk and cost. And what we found was electrical heating processes are suitable for any industrial heating process. There's basically no temperature limit that you can get with electricity. If for some reason you want 4,000 degrees or 5,000 degrees, you can use a plasma torch furnace, which is you can't get those kind of temperatures by burning a fossil fuel. In part C of the report, we have some fairly detailed case studies. We call them how-to guides of how you would apply this range of technologies to specific industries. So we've looked at 10 different industries from food to paper, plastic and steel. Uh, Probably only got time to talk about one today, so I want to talk about aluminium casting. The, uh, The inspiration for this was actually the Nissan plant that Adrian mentioned. So they make parts, as we heard, for electric vehicles, many of them made out of aluminium. So the way they do that and the way aluminium casting is done is that many tons of aluminium are melted in a, in a gas-fired furnace, and Nissan use a particularly efficient type of gas-fired furnace called a tower furnace. And as the parts are cast, small amounts of the aluminium are tapped off the, very, the large furnace. So you could do that with induction by just having another very large furnace, but powered by electricity, and you'd already get a 37% increase in the efficiency of that process. But what's really interesting about using induction and what we focus on in our how-to guide is that you could dispense altogether with melting many tons of aluminium and just melt exactly what you need for each part in a just-in-time process that we call single-shot induction. And this would be 50% more efficient even than the most efficient gas-fired furnaces that we have. If you did this, it would also reduce material waste. So molten aluminium at 700 degrees or so is really reactive with the air and and water and other materials and it gets contaminated and there's always a percentage which has to be either thrown away or remelted again back through the system. Doing it like this means the aluminium is molten only for a very short period of time and it reduces that level of contamination and, and material waste and speeds up the process altogether. So there's huge potential. How are we actually going to realise it? One way we think we've shown in the report many opportunities for manufacturers to switch from fossil fuels to electricity and save money today without anybody else having to be involved. But for this transformation to happen at scale and speed we need to combat climate change and also to allow Australia really to grasp this opportunity that we have, we're going to need some government policies. And so we're calling for a zero carbon industrial strategy with two aims. The first, to reduce the emissions from manufacturing to zero. And the second, to expand manufacturing and really capitalise on this opportunity that we have to lead the world in low-carbon production. Several things need to occur under that industrial strategy. And one is to tackle the information deficit. We found in researching these technologies that there's quite a low level of understanding of how they work in Australia amongst manufacturers, consultants, engineers, academia. To give one example, just the existence of heat pumps that can produce steam is not widely known. 
let alone having the expertise to be able to advise manufacturers how you install them and how you integrate them with your existing system. We're also suggesting substantial increases in the financial incentives to get over the investment hurdle for manufacturers, increases in the investment in research and commercialization of these technologies, that governments follow large companies like IKEA by setting sustainable procurement strategies and requiring the embodied emissions of materials to be, that they buy to be lower, and lastly, that we introduce a carbon price. Economists still agree this is the most efficient way we have, economically efficient way, of reducing emissions in all sectors. So what's the opportunity? Yes, it's eliminating those 8% of national emissions and showing the world how they can eliminate 12% of global emissions, but also to increase international competitiveness, produce energy-intensive exports and make Australia one of the homes, the natural homes, for the production of energy-intensive goods and to expand the manufacturing sector, which we've heard from Tennant and Adrian, is a vital sector of the Australian economy. It's the sector that, like no other, drives innovation and creates high-quality, high-paying jobs. Thank you. I think we've got time for a few questions. Yeah, Trent Hawkins. Just wanted to go in more detail about that information deficit and my experience of industry, particularly manufacturing facilities that utilise steam and the quantum shift that would be needed in the way that they produce their products to move to electricity. You know, what, what can be done in that space to really train the industry to move in that direction? Yeah, we've got a, a section on the report in explaining what we mean by tackling the information deficit. So what we're suggesting is that government creates a central agency to train people and accredit consultants and engineers who can advise industry how to, how to install heat pumps. We know this has been done in other countries, so while there are very few in Australia at the moment, there are hundreds and thousands in countries like Japan, South Korea and Europe. So it, it is a quantum shift and a shift in mindset from using steam, but it's one that we know can be done. Thanks all. Thank you. That was Michael Lord presenting the Electrifying Industry Summit in September about the great opportunities for electrifying industrial heat processes to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and manufacturing costs. If you'd like to read the Electrifying Industry Report or the Rethinking Cement report mentioned by our CEO, Vanessa Petri, in the introduction, they're both available on the BZE website under the Publications tab. Just go to www.bze.org.au. Thanks for your time today. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen again to this show or any of the others we've done, then you can go to www.bze.org.au and click on podcasts. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.